Last week, we began a new series called Silent Sermons, where we are basically addressing the messages that we have preached to ourselves, the messages that hold the greatest weight in our lives, and the messages that we have allowed to speak louder than God's word. These are often silent sermons that hold us captive and they create dominant narratives in our lives. And often we just let them play on repeat without really addressing them and doing what we can to hit the stop button on them. And so today we are continuing this series and we are talking about the silent sermon of fear. And uh, I told a friend of mine that I believe for me this sermon was 27 years in the making. Um, I am someone who has struggled my whole life with anxiety and with planning for the absolute worst. Um, I have often chosen to run from things that are scary instead of face them head on and uh, ask God to intervene. But a lot has happened for me during this year in 2019, and I think forever I will remember it as the year that I actively decided to start living in faith and stop living in fear. And it doesn't mean that you just make one decision and it all goes away. It is an active choice that we have to make over and over and over again. I realized throughout this year that I could surrender my fear to God and I could choose to wake up every morning with the confidence in knowing that God is for me and he is with me and he is going before me. Now, it doesn't mean uh, that fear or anxiety will completely disappear, and I'm not discounting throughout the sermon today the realities of clinical anxiety or extreme phobias. Sometimes there are times in our life where we need to seek professional help to work against those things that are going on in our life. But to a certain extent, there are some things that we can do as we choose to surrender our fear to God. And so today, I'm going to share with you three things that I have realized this year, three things that I continue to implement into my life so that when I'm facing fear, I can choose faith instead, and I can choose to direct my eyes to God instead. I know that fear holds many of you captive. It is something that all of us have in common in one way or another. Some of you are afraid of failure or rejection or abandonment or illness or death. You are worried about your relationships, your children, your marriage, your finances, your career, and everything in between. And so today, I am excited to share what God has put on my heart, but I'm also going to ask that you, when we pray in a minute, that you would invite God into your heart too, and you would um, just believe that he has something for you today. He has something for you to hear that can break uh, the bonds of fear in your life. So before we dive into the sermon, let's all pray together. Lord God, we thank you for meeting us here each and every week. We know that you're in this space, and it is just us, up to us to show up and to listen to you and to be eager to hear from you. And so we praise you for the opportunity to commune with you, and we trust you right now, Lord, that you're going to speak to us today, God. I pray for every person in this space that they would just hear the pointed message that you have for them. I pray, Lord, that there would not be any distractions in this space, that you would strengthen my voice, you would help me to speak clearly and articulate what you've put on my heart, God. We love you, we glorify you, and we praise you. In your name we pray, amen. So as I was thinking through what passage we should be exploring today, I realized that most of the stories in scripture that are addressing fear, things that you know, we learn in Sunday school or we grow up with, they are all really extravagant. And uh, for example, there's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who 
King Nebuchadnezzar demands that they bow down to this idol, and they're like, I'm not going to do that. We only worship the one true God. And so they get thrown into this fiery furnace. Now, most of you probably have not experienced that type of fear in your life, but God still rescues them. And then there's the story of Daniel in uh, the book of Daniel chapter 6, where he basically disobeys the king's edict, and he gets thrown into a lion's den. And what does God do? Even in the face of fear, he shows up and he shuts the mouths of the lion so that Daniel can come out completely unharmed the next day. The Bible is full of stories of people either overcoming fear or being rescued from their fear, but I think they often seem so over the top and unrelatable that we think there isn't anything for us to learn from them. But really what these stories are teaching us is that no matter how great and extravagant the fear might be, it's God's greatness and his power that is consistent in each and every narrative. He can shut the mouths of lions like he did for Daniel. He can control the flames like he did for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And as we're going to see today, God is powerful and mighty enough to rescue you from a storm, protect you, and set you on a path of divine purpose, even in the most wild of circumstances, when it seems like fear is completely surrounding you. And so today we are going to look at the story of Jonah which some of you may be familiar with. You might have learned about it in Sunday school um, or growing up. It is about the prophet Jonah, who is referenced in the book of 2 Kings. Now, Jonah, referenced in 2 Kings, biblical scholars believe that he was a real person. He was a historical figure. But the book of Jonah, the actual narrative that's in there, biblical scholars are pretty sure that this is ahistorical or that it's fiction. But this doesn't mean that the power of the narrative is not completely true. And so we're going to begin looking at Jonah's story, and as we do, I want uh, to encourage you just to hear this narrative with with fresh ears and be open to what God might be teaching you um, about fear today. So turn with me to Jonah 1, verse 1 through 16. If you have your Bibles or your smartphones, we will also have it there. Shout out to Heidi, who's doing slides today. Thanks, Heidi. Jonah 1, verse 1 through 16. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port, and after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down, and he fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us, so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, and so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, Jonah replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. 
Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. And at this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. This is the word of the Lord. So in the beginning of the story, we see three types of fear uh, that are present here. And I think it's important to identify the various types of fear, because when we think about fear, especially if you've been raised in the church, often things like 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 will come to mind. And it says, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And we often think, well, if God did not give me a, a spirit of fear, then that's, that's bad, and I have to get rid of it. But there are various types of emotions that we have sort of placed under this umbrella of fear. So in the case of the mariners, the guys that are on the boat with Jonah, their first fear is the body's natural response to an obvious danger. So they are fearing the storm, they are fearing for their lives, they are fearing that the boat is going to capsize, right? It is an emotional response to a physical threat. The mariners, they also develop a healthy fear of God at the end of the chapter we just read. Throughout scripture, we are told to have a healthy fear of God. In the book of Proverbs 9, verse 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of understanding and knowledge of the Holy One. I'm sorry, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. See, here, fearing God, it's, it's about an act of reverence. It's about an act of humility and recognizing that we are merely human and God is all-powerful. And so when we fear him, we are recognizing his power and might and just how small that we are, and that we are called to let him reign over our lives. Today, we are going to focus on the fear that Jonah felt, who was so afraid of the Ninevites and afraid of God's plan that he decided to book it, book it out of Joppa. Now, what the author of Jonah doesn't mention, which would have been helpful, you have to do a little bit of background knowledge here, is that Nineveh was the absolute worst. It was such a terrible city. Nineveh was the most important city in Assyria, and it was rising as a world power of the day. It would eventually become a capital city. And it also was the primary enemy of Israel and Judah from the 9th through 7th centuries BCE. We learn a little bit about it in the book of Nahum, and it says in Nahum 3, verse 1, that Nineveh was a city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. Like other Mesopotamian cultures, terrible things were taking place in this city. There were things like temple prostitution and child sacrifice and infanticide. On top of all this, Ninevites were known for taking their prisoners and scarring their faces permanently so that even once they were released or if they were able to escape, they would still always be a prisoner of Nineveh. They were absolutely brutal and relentless. And so it's no surprise that Jonah is like, no way, God. He leaves. He's not going on that mission. He is so fearful. And in fact, he is so afraid that he flees to Tarshish. I have a map to show you all so you can see just how far... <laughs> Right? Like, he's in Joppa, 550 miles to Nineveh. Like, okay, you got to pack some, you know, hiking gear. But he goes to Tarshish, 2,500 miles out of the way, the complete opposite direction. 
And this fear that he has, it results in him not only running from God, but running from the purpose that God has for his life. Has your fear ever caused you to run from something great? I see some heads nodding. That was a rhetorical question, but you're welcome to tell your neighbor after service if you want. Um, For me, it has. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about the fears that I have had and and how they have gotten in the way of of God's purpose for my life. So for me, I have always been afraid of abandonment. I've had a fear of growing close to someone or something only to have them leave you, to experience neglect or rejection of some type. And so my whole life, I always wanted to play it safe. I never wanted to take risks because if you take risks, then there's the possibility of failing. And if you fail, then you could disappoint someone. And if you disappoint someone, then they might abandon you. They might be mad, they might reject you. And just like Jonah, I allowed this fear to get in the way of God's plan for my life. Many of you know that when I first started working at the table full-time, I was um, in a like support staff position. My title was chief of staff. And I managed logistics and schedules and projects and all the things that none of you want to do. And uh, I went to a conference with some of our leadership about six months into my time at the table. And I was in a session and I was listening to an executive pastor give a sermon and I felt this like overwhelming impression that that was gonna be me one day. And so I took that to be a message from God and, and it was in line with what people had told me. It was in line with what I was feeling. And so I decided, decided to make moves on that. And I, you know, I made a five-year plan and I started looking at seminaries and I was like, okay, God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna listen to you. And then a few months later, my supervisor at the time called me into a meeting and he said, you're gonna be the executive pastor at the table. Not in, in five years, right now. And I was like, no, you're not, that's not right. And um, I actually, I told him no. I was like, yeah, not right now, but thanks. Thanks for thinking of me. And um, I was worried. It was fear that got in the way. I was afraid that I didn't have enough education. I didn't have enough training. I was afraid of messing up. I was afraid of failing and disappointing people. And I let my fear of failure decide my actions. Shortly after, like what always happens, uh, God had his way, and I did come around, and I joined the pastoral team at the table. And um, you would think I've learned my lesson, but the same thing, it happened again. And for the next year and a half or more, um, it happened again with preaching. For years, I was encouraged to preach. I was encouraged to use my voice on Sundays to further the kingdom. And I had different people telling me all the time that they, they thought that I should give preaching a try. And each time I said no. I allowed my fear of failure to get in the way of God's plan for my life a plan that he had so clearly revealed to me and confirmed, just like he did for Jonah. And I allowed my fear of failure to get in the way of God's greater purpose. Now, as we saw with Jonah, God is always relentless, and he will chase after you in spite of your fears and even use the most unconventional of methods to do so. Alas, I am here preaching to you all. God sees it through. But for me... What finally happened and what finally helped for me to start getting over my fears is to identify the source of them. We know that God does not instill in us a spirit of fear, and so it has to come from somewhere. My fear of failure, it stemmed from this fear of rejection and abandonment, which I already told you, 
But I realized that that came from some things that happened to me in my family when I was really young, and it stuck with me. For Jonah, his fears, they stemmed from knowing the brutal realities of how awful the Ninevites were, but ultimately his fear was a trust issue. He wasn't trusting God to see him through. Sometimes we let fear dictate our actions because we haven't taken the time to identify the source. And when we allow that to happen, just like Jonah, we can't see God's greater purpose for us. We become blind and we allow the silent sermons of fear to predict how we are going to live our lives. Jonah didn't trust God or his plans for his life. Instead, he planned for the absolute worst and he ran. But by identifying the source of our fear, we can recognize that it is not from God and we can start planning for the absolute best. We can trust God as we move forward and trust his plans for our life. God isn't waiting for all of us to become brave. God knew that the Ninevites were dangerous. He knew that Jonah's fear was a rational fear. What God is waiting for is for in the face of fear, for us to choose courage that can only be found in God. And once we find that courage, he's telling you to go. Now, you might be saying, cool, Jess, that all sounds nice, but that's kind of arbitrary. How do we grasp this courage from God? Well, David is a really, really great example of this in Scripture. So we're going to pivot now, and we're going to contrast Jonah's life to King David's life. Unlike Jonah, when David was faced with fear, his courage came from the truth that he found in Scripture. David didn't run away from his fears. He ran toward God's word. And so in Psalm 56... Verse 3 through 4, David says, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? Reading over this briefly, we might perceive David telling us that if we just pray to God and put our trust in him, then we won't have any fear in the future. But having that view of scripture here, it really oversimplifies things. And honestly, it's kind of dangerous to tell someone that by just trusting in God more, then they won't be afraid. Prayer is important and it is critical in this situation, but trust builds by what we see in line three. See, something crucial happens between line one, when David is afraid, and line four, when he's not afraid anymore. The whole time, David is praying to God, but it's in line three in the middle there, where he says, in God whose word I praise, in God I trust. I love the NLT translation. I think I have the NLT on a slide for you as well. And it says, but when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. I praise God for what he has promised. How does David know what God has promised? He went to his word. He went to scripture. In fear, David turns to God's word and then he praises God's word. David was able to trust God because of the evidence of God's faithfulness, which can only be found in scripture. And it's not just here, but it happens several times throughout the Psalms. David turns to God's word for safety and strength in the face of fear. In Psalm 119, it says, My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. You are my hiding place and my shield. My hope is in your word. 
I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words, and I have one more for you. Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. When you are faced with opposition, when you are faced with fear, I know that it is during those times that you feel like God is the absolute farthest away from you. I've been there, and you are not alone in that feeling. But I promise he is right there. God sees you and he knows you and he wants to calm and comfort you, but he is waiting for you to also draw near to him and draw near to his word. Have you ever had a friend that was going through something really difficult and you just wanted to comfort them and calm them, but they said, I'm fine, I just want to be alone? How are you supposed to help them if they're not going to listen to you? Right? You know this has happened. I'm fine. Everything's fine. Friends, the enemy is going to do everything that he possibly can to make sure that that record player of fear continues to spin in the back of your mind. He will take your greatest anxieties and your biggest stressors and your largest worries, and he will pour fuel on the fire of those fears. And unless you have the ultimate truth, Unless you have God's word in your hand and in your heart and in your mind, you're not going to be able to counter those lies. The silent sermons of fear, they will just continue to play on repeat. You alone cannot make fear disappear. But by the power of God's word, through the promises that he reveals to us in scripture, you can speak safety over your life. Read it, memorize it, study it, write it. Do whatever you can to make sure that when you are facing fear, something straight from God pops into your mind and tells you that you are safe and you are loved and that God is going before you. Hebrews 4 verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. God's word is a weapon of truth and it will fight against your fears. It will tell you that you are strong. It will tell you that you are safe. It will tell you that you are righteous. It will tell you that you are made in God's image and therefore you are good. It will tell you that you are worth the absolute ultimate sacrifice. And it will tell you that in the face of all your fears with God going before you, no weapon formed against you will prevail. It will tell you that God is greater than your fears and he will rescue you. It's all, it's here. It's right here waiting for you. You just have to pick it up and dive in. In the face of fear, we can run away like Jonah did, or we can run towards God's word. Now, we know that when God first called Jonah, Jonah did not turn to God's word uh, for support. Instead, he ran out of fear away from God's plan. But what we're going to see in a minute is that when Jonah is up against fear a second time, he chooses to focus on his faith and the ways that God has saved him before instead of letting fear consume his mind. We're picking up at Jonah 1, verse 17, and we'll read into chapter 2. It says, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress... I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. 
All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good, and I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. God caused this storm to happen because he was not going to let Jonah, in the face of fear, run away from his purpose. He was not going to let Jonah live his life according to fear. God had a great purpose for Jonah. And we're not going to read the rest of this book. I encourage you to do it um, on your own. But basically, Sparknotes version, Jonah listens to God, and the Ninevites repent, and they turn to God. Even in the midst of the storm, when you are surrounded by fear, God, he offers you a way forward. And as we see from Jonah, and as I have seen in my own life, that even when you let fear run you in the wrong direction, God will chase after you and he will put you on the right path as strange as his ways might be. We might not understand them as he's doing it, but he will do it, and he is faithful. And often, it's what happens in the middle of that storm that changes you. Inside the belly of the fish, Jonah offers a prayer, but it is not what you think he would pray. Jonah isn't crying, Lord God, please save me, please deliver me. Instead, the author of this narrative, he has Jonah intentionally speak to God's power, and Jonah is speaking in the past tense. His prayer, it's full of thanksgiving and of praise as he remembers the times that God has delivered him before and has been faithful in his past. Jonah doesn't talk about his fear. Jonah talks about his faith. He sings, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. He says, to the roots of the mountains, I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought me up from the pit. Jonah speaks in the past tense because even in the middle of the storm, in the middle of all of his fear, he chooses to praise God before the breakthrough. He remembers the times that God has saved him before, and he knows that God is going to save him again. He recognizes in this moment that this is all part of God's plan for his life. Jonah says, my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Jonah knows that the Lord is near. He knows that the prayer of his heart has already been heard. His fear is already completely known by God, and he chooses he makes an active choice to focus on his faith instead of focusing on his fear. Jonah teaches us that when we are staring fear straight in the, in the face, when we are in the belly of the whale, when the darkness is slowly just closing in on us, we can choose to focus on that fear. Or we can draw near to God and remember all the times that he has redeemed us before and choosing to believe that he will do it again. And by choosing faith, 
over fear, we acknowledge that there is this big, scary thing that is in front of us that is really scary and fearful to us. We acknowledge that. We're not ignoring that. But we are also acknowledging the power of a God who will love us and defend us. And by acknowledging that power, we begin to praise God and we begin to worship God for who he is. We worship that power. Earlier this year, I was walking through a pretty difficult season, and there were some nights where I was so afraid of the future that I didn't even have any words to pray. I would try to go to God in prayer, but I just, I didn't have any words. I didn't have anything to say. The fear was just too overwhelming and all-consuming. And so I ran towards God's word, as we discussed earlier, and I came across Isaiah 61.3. I had it highlighted. It already, at some prior time in my life, uh, it was important to me, and I had it highlighted and starred, and I was like, oh, what does that say? I should, I should zone in on that. And it talks about how in the spirit of despair, we're supposed to put on the garment of praise. We have to make the choice in the spirit of despair to put on the garment of praise. And so despite the fear that I felt, I turned to praise. I sang for weeks. I listened to worship music on repeat, and as I worshiped, I remembered the confidence that I could have in God. I redirected my energy from focusing on my fear to focusing on my faith, to focusing on God, to focusing on what I know to be true about the Lord's character. That song we sang earlier here again, it became my anthem. I mean, like, every morning, every night, I was listening to the song on repeat. My roommate was like, please, Lord, deliver her from this fear. <laughs> She was over it. She wanted Taylor Swift back. But I knew that God had rescued me before and he would rescue me again. God doesn't forsake us, but he meets us in our fear and he delivers us. And songs of praise, what they do is they focus our mind completely on God's goodness. And when you focus your mind on the character of God, when you focus your mind on his power and his might and his glory and his love, fear it has no choice but to bow. The, the two can't happen in tandem with one another. Paul speaks of this act of praise and thanksgiving in the face of fear and anxiety in the book of Philippians 4, verse 6 through 7. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I used to think that this verse was telling me not to be anxious, that being anxious was a bad thing, that it was a sin, and that I had to fix it. I had to get rid of it. But what Paul is telling us is that when fear surrounds us, it's not just the power of our prayer to God that creates change, but it's the thanksgiving to God and praising him for all that he has done that produces a sense of peace over us that is beyond all human comprehension and understanding. It won't make sense. We won't be able to explain it away. It just happens. I've had people tell me that they wish they could replicate the peace that they feel as they are leaving church on Sunday mornings. And that's because when you step into this place on Sunday, when you sing songs of praise to God, and as you acknowledge his greatness in the presence of this space, all what, I don't know, 80, 90 of you acknowledging God and praising him, 
as we all collectively focus our minds on the goodness of God, fear goes right out that back door. Things like fear and anxiety and stress and worry, they leave as we praise God. We don't have worship in the beginning of our service just for me and Angela, who like run around with our hands up, loving it. We do it so that all of you can have the opportunity to shift your focus to God, to prepare your hearts to receive the word. And as things like darkness and fear and anxiety and worry, as they run in the opposite direction as you praise, you run toward God and you focus on your faith instead of on your fear. Church, I don't know um, what fear you're battling today, but I know that all of us are fearing something. And in a minute, I'm going to pray for you and I would encourage you to release those fears over to God. Stephen, you can come on up if you'd like. But I also want to encourage you not just to release them to God in prayer, but I also want to encourage you to do the hard work of overcoming the fear. Whatever your fear may be, take the time to figure out the source, because if we know that fear is not from God, it's coming from something. And for many of you, it might be something really deep down inside of you that you have to take the time to identify what it is. And then once you have identified what it is, don't stop there. Once you recognize it, you have the option to let that message of fear continue to play on repeat, or you can meet God at his word and cover it in the ultimate truth. We can trust the promises in scripture. We can trust when the Bible tells us that God is going to protect us and that he loves us and that he is going before us and that he will carry us. And then in those moments of fear, when it feels like the darkness is all-consuming and it is slowly just closing in on you. Make the active decision not to give all your attention to the fear. Make the active decision to praise God instead, to worship Him. It might seem counterintuitive, but I promise you, as you begin to redirect your heart towards God and towards His goodness, that fear, it's going to fade to the darkness. We're going to pray now, and I want to encourage you that if you have something that you're battling, whether it is a really, really big fear that is predicting your future next steps, it is maintaining hold of something great in your life, or maybe it's something really small, but it is still just nagging at you and it is playing on repeat, I want to encourage you to turn it over to God and to trust Him. And then when you go home today, do these three things that you learned. Throughout this week, when you are experiencing fear, do these three things that you learned. Make the active choice to choose faith instead of choosing your fear. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for meeting us in this space every Sunday. We thank you, Lord, that you promised to be with us, to be near to us, and that as you walk with us, as you guide us, we can turn to you as we take the time to figure out where that fear is coming from. We know, Lord, that you are good and that you are full of love and light and that fear is not from you. And so I pray, God, for everyone in this space that if they are experiencing some type of fear, that you would reveal to them where it's coming from and that they would be able to start processing that and working through that. And then, Lord, I pray that you would prompt them to turn to their Bible, to turn to their smartphone, and that they would look for your truth in Scripture. 
I pray, Lord, that you would just speak safety over them, that you would remind them that you are there, that you remind them how many people you have delivered from fear in the past, and that the truth that is found only in your word would bring comfort and peace to them. And then I also pray, Lord, that even for those of us who we don't often enjoy singing, we maybe don't enjoy lifting our hands, I pray, God, that even if it's in the darkest corner of our room by ourselves, I pray, Lord, that you would nudge people to just turn on some worship music and that they would surrender in those moments to you, Lord, that they would actively choose to focus on your faith, that they would choose to praise you and to worship you despite whatever they might be fearing, and that throughout that process, Lord, you would just speak peace over them. We trust you, Lord, and we love you, and we know that you can deliver, deliver us from our fears, God. And so for everyone in this space who is battling something, I pray, Lord, that they would just release it to you now, and that as they leave this space, they would do the hard work of not letting that message of fear continue to speak over them, but they would take the active steps to choose faith over fear, to choose you over fear. In your name,